0: So today, I want you to know how we're going to end our service first, okay? We're going to end our service today with a prayer for the church, with prayer for a church. For the last several weeks, and specifically this last week, myself personally, I have just been feeling some, some uneasiness, if you will, in my heart my spirit, not because of what's going on in the election, not because of what's going on with COVID, you know, that stuff's just stuff. I'm a little bit more concerned about what's going on in the church. And when I say church, I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church. Do you guys understand that? And really, when we talk about the church, I'm talking about people. Because ultimately, you and I, we make up the church, okay? We make up the church. It's interesting to me how a lot of Christians would like to say, I'm going to church, which is okay to say. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's perfectly fine to say that. But a lot of times we get really comfortable and we get at ease with the idea that the church, this building, is the only place that we get to be like Christ. And that this is the only place that we get to worship. And this is the only place that a lot of these things begin to take place. And what, I've, what I'm feeling and what I'm sensing and what I'm seeing in the greater church in today is I'm seeing that there has been some ideologies and some theologies and things, some thoughts that have crept into the church that are not of God, that are not of him. It almost seems... Like, and I remember preaching this, I remember saying this about five years ago. In our culture, we've made what is right wrong and what is wrong right. You guys with me? You guys tracking? And I fear that that mentality has crept into the church where we have, as a church, accepted things that are wrong and tried to convince ourselves that they're right. That we have positioned our way of thinking and positioned our mind and positioned our heart to try to accept things that God looks at as sin, that looks at as wrong, we've positioned ourselves to think to ourselves, well, that's okay for you. That's okay if you want to do it. Then all of a sudden, absolute truth doesn't become so absolute anymore. It becomes gray area. I want you to know this morning that with God, there is no gray. There is no lukewarm. You're either black or white, or you're either hot or cold. There is no in between. I've been reading and seeing things that are just breaking my heart personally when predominant Christians and leaders say things like, It's okay for you to have an abortion. God is okay with you having one. God is okay with aborting babies and killing them. Trying to convince the church because it's culturally acceptable that this is okay. Now listen to me. This isn't a message about that, which I want you to know something that there is a plan for every life that is born. But this isn't a pro-life message. This is a message about calling out what's right and calling out what's wrong and begin to live at the standard of the word of God in our lives and in our churches. And you see, when I say churches again, I'm not talking about the building, I'm talking about you, me, as representatives of the church, of Jesus Christ, to this culture that we live in? What are we gonna do as the people of God to bring back the righteousness, the holiness of Jesus Christ with fire and with passion in our hearts and our lives? Are we gonna sit back and allow culture to dictate how we're supposed to act? Now listen, the Bible clearly says what's gonna happen in the last days. It's called the great delusion where it even says in the Bible that even the most elite Christians will fall away, will be lied to, will be deceived. And will begin to speak on behalf of the enemy rather than speak on behalf of the Lord. And I don't know if you can feel it. I don't know if it's just me. I don't know. If I watch too many movies, no, I'm just playing, I don't don't know what it is, but there's a burning in my heart just very recently that I begin to see things beginning to creep into the church that we need to address and we need to call out for what it is. So at the end of the message, we're going to come back to this. We're going to circle back to it as we pray. And I'll begin to share with you what I think that those things are. See, but as we continue on with the goodness of God, we can see the goodness of God working in our church, in our churches, in the people's lives. <laughs> and I don't mean to be a downer this morning. Trust me, it's gonna get better, Okay. I don't want to be a downer this morning. But it's one of these things where we have to make some solid decisions right now whom we're going to serve. Hear what I'm saying to you. We have to make some decisions who we're going to serve. We're going to back down or we're going to stand up for what's right. We're going to stand up for Christ. I'm not talking about election stuff, like I said. I'm not talking about any of this junk going on in our world right now. This is a much bigger war. This is a much bigger picture than what's happening. And you can call this a forewarning. You can call this whatever you want to call it. But I feel it so strong in my heart that we're going to have to make some solid decisions in our heart whom we're going to serve because it's not going to be the popular answer. I promise you that. doesn't matter who's in office. Let me just say something about that. I don't care who sits on the throne on January 20th. Doesn't matter to me. I know our responsibility as a church and that is to pray for our leaders. And that ain't gonna change. Why? Because I honor God more than I honor what's said in this culture. We're gonna pray for our leaders. We're going to respect them. We're going to love them. We're going to honor them because of the position that they hold. We'll pray for salvation. As we prayed for Trump, we'll pray for Biden. we pray for Biden, we pray for Trump, no matter who's in office. You guys catch my drift? Because that's the mission of the church is to advance the kingdom no matter what's happening in our culture. You know what's never gonna stop is the preaching of the gospel. That's what's never gonna stop. And they might try to stop us, but it ain't gonna happen. See as we talk about the goodness of God, how many of you guys believe that a good father disciplines? Amen? A good father disciplines. How many of you guys grew up in the belt era? <laughs> I did. <laughs> so you guys have heard me say this before. My, my dad had such a great way of, of, of taking his belt off and, sla- and whipping me with it. it. It was like almost a musical tune. He went, <laughs> you can record it, make a song out of it right? It was so great. Now, I remember growing up, I needed discipline, okay? Um, <laughs> I shared this story first service. I'm a little reluctant to share it right now uh, because I don't know in our audience who's going to be offended, but <clears throat> here we go. <laughs> if you grew up in the Assemblies of God, you'll know what I'm talking about when I say this, but I went, when I was little, I went through a thing called the uh, Roll Rangers. Anybody with me? Anybody know? Who doesn't know what Royal Rangers is? Okay, great. Royal Rangers is simply Boy Scouts for Christians. Okay? Plain it's, I mean, bottom line, that's what it is. I got to earn badges. I learned how to tie knots. I learned how to do campfires. I, I learned how to, you know, whittle a stick and, you know, I learned not to whittle it to yourself, okay? Like those kinds of important life lessons and, 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 and all these things, Okay? So like, that's what Royal Rangers was. You learn Bible verses. I I did the the golden rule, you know, make the golden rule my daily rule, you know, all these kinds of things. It was great. I earned badges because of all these things. And it so happened to be when I was 11, maybe 12 years old that I had to get my BB gun badge. Yes, back then we had BB gun badges, okay. I don't know, I called it BB gun badge. It might've been firearm safety or something like that. But I thought, you know, when you're 11 or 12, BB gun, hello, it's game time, right? That's what happens. And so I remember they gave us each a gun that you had to pump 10 times. You guys with me? Right, you, you poured all the, the BBs in that little, that little pill pocket, you know, thing, and then you go, and then like puts one in the chamber. Then you had to click 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 10 times and then you had to shoot it. Well, that's what you had to do and you had to hit the target in order to get your BB gun badge. Well, you know, being 11 12 years old, BB gun click click across the street from our church, we had a motorcycle shop. And they had two Doberman Doberman pinchers that lived as guard dogs in the fence over there. So it's late at night. When I say late, you know when you're 12, 8 o'clock. It's dark outside. You're like, yeah, let's go, baby. I took and stole one of the BB guns. Okay, please don't hate me, okay? I'm redeemed. I haven't done this since. I mean, not that you know of, but no, I'm just like, I haven't. I took the BB gun, me and my buddies. We thought we were real smart. We went up to the fence and You know, being brave, 11-year-olds with Domer and Pinterest barking at us. You can be brave all you want to when there's a fence. That's how Baxter is, my dog. Runs like this, back and forth on the fence line. But when he sees the dog that actually lives there, he walks the other way, big whiner. Right, so, here I go. 10 pumps. Add 10 more, (laughs) that's not gonna hurt. Right, ten more. I walk up to the little hole in the fence like this. I put the gun right in the dome of the It's going, raw, 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 and I go, pow, right in the eye. I know, I know it's awful. I know, I feel so bad about it that I did. That. I would never, ever, ever in a million years do this now. But I'm 11. You know, you don't think about that kind of stuff. You just think, I wonder if I could. Poke, I wonder if I could shoot a dog's eye out. You know, because they say when you get a BB gun, you'll shoot your eye out, right? You'll shoot your eye out. So I did it. I, it was awful, I know. Well, I thought that I got away with it because it'd been a couple of days. And uh, my dad found out that this happened because they caught us on security camera. And uh, he got home and he did that dad thing, you know? You have something you want to tell me, son? No, life's good, Dad. What are you talking about? No, I think there's something you want to say to me. No, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, you got that guilty, mm, I don't know, what's mom doing? He says, <laughs> the cops called me, Jacob, and said what you did. They got it on a security camera. Now I have to pay for the veterinarian bill. And so now... I'm going to whoop you with my belt. And you put the fear of God in me for every dollar that I have to spend on that veterinary bill. That's what he told me. I was like, oh, Father in heaven. So, you know, that day, he had two belts on. No, not really, but it sounded like it. He went, you know, like Conan, like... And he bent me over his knee. You guys with me? You guys know what I'm talking about? Bend you over the knee, right? And they always say this. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Yeah, okay, whatever, Dad. (laughs) Right? And he just whacked, whacked. Like, I promise you, from that day forward, I never shot another gun at a dog's eye, Ever. 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 Even when I'm deer hunting, I get flashbacks. <laughs> I'm gonna get a whooping, I can feel it, right? <laughs> oh Lord, my butt starts to hurt for no reason. I'm like, oh Jesus, help us all, right? <laughs> you see, a good father disciplines his children but that's not the kind of discipline that I'm talking about when God disciplines us. See, God's discipline is always mixed with goodness and mercy, love, and intentionality. See, if I were to do to my children what many people think God does to his children, I'd be arrested for child abuse. People say God is good, yet they credit him with causing cancer and natural disasters and even blame him for terrorist activities. They constantly embrace a hellish situation in their lives because of the thought that God intended it for good. Without a show of hands, I know that some people have thought that before. I know it comes in little little tones like this. God must be doing this to teach me a lesson. I must be sick because God's trying to teach me something. Now, granted, yesterday I prayed for patience and I got behind the slowest person in the world. And I drove by and I gave him the stare. Right? Then I realized he was 90 and I went, oh, Jacob, Andrew, why are you so impatient? Right? That's all I'm talking about. See, a lot of the times, people in general love to credit God for all the disasters that are going on in their life because they think that he's trying to do something to them to try to make them learn something. I want you to know that that is wrong thinking and wrong theology. God doesn't do bad things in our world to try to get us to do something right or try to make us feel his goodness. See, that way of thinking infects the God-given ability to discern the works of the devil with a human reasoning that is demonic in nature. And this is where I want to just kind of pause for a minute and say this. This is one of the things that I think that the church has forgotten to preach about is the devil. I I never want to credit the devil for anything, Right? I, never, I don't want to make him bigger than what, he really, than what he thinks that he is. But make no mistake about it, that there is an enemy going out trying to devour your life and the things that you held once so dearly to your heart a temptation, a habit or whatever the case is that God has freed you from, he will come back to you in a whisper and try to derail you from the kingdom of God and the purposes in your life by trying to bring that back up to you again to either say a few things, to say, you're not free anymore. Well, you're not free. That was just, that was just an emotional experience. God didn't do anything in your life at that time. Oh, you, you, you thought your way out of this. See, it's your thinking how you did this. No, let me just tell you something. When Jesus sets you free, the Bible says that you are free indeed. You're free. You don't got to go back to that stuff anymore. And what the devil does is he loves to come and remind you of how bad of a person you once were so that way you can believe opposite of what God thinks about you. God thinks that you are an overcomer. The Bible or, or the enemy thinks that you should live under his oppression and suppression. So all he does is wants to come and whisper lies and devour you and kill you and destroy you. And for some people, it works. It works. I'll always be this kind of a person, some people say. My mom was poor, my dad was poor, my great-grandma was poor, so therefore, I will always be poor. I'll always be an alcoholic. Mama was an alcoholic, dad was an alcoholic, grandma was an alcoholic, great-aunt, uncle, it's a pandemic that runs in my family, so therefore, this is how I'm going to be. I know I have an uphill battle with this. Listen, you are not that person because Christ set you free when he went to the cross. Come on, somebody. And it's too bad that believers walk around in this place where they're wrapped up in chains, still thinking that they're free, but they're really not. The devil is alive, he's real, and he wants to come and destroy and kill everything about your spirit, about your heart, about your vision. See, this way of thinking, when we think that God does bad things to teach us a lesson, this kind of thinking affects the God-given ability to discern the works of the devil. See, when we allow ourselves to think that way, our maturity in Christ has the ability to become broken down. And our growth can stop. And our growth can stop. It can cause us to forget who we're really fighting against. First John chapter three, verse eight. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come as the Son of God? Yes, to provide salvation, But let me just tell you, salvation destroyed the works of the devil. All the way from the beginning sin, where Eve fell into temptation, took a bite of the fruit, handed it to Adam, and then sinned into the world. Through one man's sin into the world. Through one man's sin was conquered in the world. You see, these things that we deal with, we deal with them. I know because we're human beings, I get it. But a lot of the times we render the cross powerless when we give power to the enemy to continue to hold us in bondage. When will the church come to a place to the realization and understanding and knowing, standing in confidence that we are the righteousness of Christ? You see, Jesus taught us how to recognize the works of the devil. And then he modeled for us how to destroy them. So how did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Real three quick ways. Last week we talked about what are the footprints of the devil. Number one, wherever there's loss, there's footprints of the devil. Wherever there's death, there's a footprint of the enemy. Wherever there's destruction, there's a footprint of the enemy. So if the work of the enemy is loss, death, and destruction, then Jesus came to destroy Loss, death and destruction, who's with me. So what did he do, very briefly, what did he do for loss? When Jesus came, because he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil, according to first John chapter three, verse eight, How did he destroy the work of loss? Well, he brought restoration. He restored all things to man that were rightfully his from the very beginning. He restored all things. Joel chapter two, verse 25 through 27 says this. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust, my great army which I sent you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Come on, somebody. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God and there is no other. I love this my people shall never be put to shame. The Lord thought it was so important he put it in there twice. That he came to restore everything the enemy has come and tried to take away from your life. Loss of joy, loss of goodness, loss of mercy, loss of long suffering, loss of patience, loss of whatever the case is. Maybe it's personal loss. Maybe you, had a, maybe you had someone uh, that you lost this year. Maybe God came to restore those things for you. He came to restore those things for you. See, God has positioned us for rest, rest, restoration. It is his will. Do not become hopeless. God is at work in your life. Pursue him, follow him. His promise to you is to be restored. Restored how? Restored in your mind. Restored of what's been stolen from you restored back from bad decisions and choices that you have made in your life. Maybe you've made some bad choices and decisions in your life that have cost you greatly. I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus is here to restore the years of that bad decision back to your life. And he doesn't restore you just to back to where it was. He restores you to the fullest and even more. My dad bought a truck I believe when he bought it, it was just a little over $1,000. An old Chevy truck, a GMC to be exact. He restored that thing back, and it took years, and it took years to bring restoration to this truck. But just in the last few years, he restored it back to its original value. Come on, somebody. Its original value of all things. The original color of the truck was bright orange. Go figure, wouldn't have been my first color. But it had wood planks on the back of the bed. You guys know what I'm talking about? It had, white, had, had whitewashed, um, um, whitewalled uh, uh, tires on it. It's a beautiful truck now. still drives it. Has restored the engine three times. Now it's, that thing's pristine. Now the truck is worth in the $50,000, $60,000 range. Maybe even a little bit more than that. See, when God restores you, He doesn't restore just what's been taken, He restores your value. He restores you, your value. See, death is another footprint of the enemy. So, what did He do? He revived. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And I'm not talking about the kind of spirit that we get to be excited. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? How about you? Right? That's not the kind of spirit I'm talking about. A lot of people want to equate the power of the Holy Spirit for a spirit that cheerleads God for doing something. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit that resides inside of your heart. Listen to me. Peter walked on the street, and his mere shadow healed people. That's the kind of power I'm talking about. Because that's the kind of power that was left for his disciples here on earth. Wouldn't it be great? Man, I'm running out of time. Can you just give me five more minutes? Five more minutes? Yeah, five? Five, ten? No, just (laughs) five. Just five more, okay? I promise. But just imagine this with me Peter walking down the street. The town hears that Peter's coming. And so they bring all their sick. They're lame, they're diseased, just so Peter's shadow can fall on them and be healed. What did Jesus die for? He died for salvation, absolutely, but he died for a revived and resurrected spirit that lives inside of you. And guess what? You and I are just like Peter. Why? Because have you ever denied Christ before? Have you ever denied Christ was working in your life? Have you ever denied and not seen Jesus in the middle of your business? See, that's what happened with Peter. He denied him three times, but Jesus still called him, on this rock I will build my church. You wanna know how the church was built in the early days? Peter walking down the street and people getting healed. And I'd even vouch to say this. The only descriptive way they can even say that, that shadow, That's the only way they could describe the power of God on him. But I like to say that it wasn't even the shadow that healed people. It was the presence that he carried. It was the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit inside of Peter that he walked with confidence that healed people. That he changed the atmosphere six feet around him. That's your nice calling. We get to do that. But do we want to live to that standard of the word or do we just want to learn about it? Come on, man. This is what I'm talking about. In the last days, we're going to see a resurgence of the power of the Holy Spirit like Peter saw on that day. I don't think y'all just heard me. Oh, but pastor, I'm no good. Well, neither were they. Pastor, I don't know enough, neither did they. Pastor, I only have this kind of job. Well, listen, they were just fishermen. Pastor, I have questions. Well, so did Thomas. He doubted. All of them moved in the power of the Holy Spirit with signs, wonders, and miracles following after them. That's your calling, people. That's you. And the last one is this. The footprint of the enemy is destruction. The only thing that he can do is renew 1 John five 4 and 5 says this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He, who is he? I love this. I love when John says this. Who is he who overcomes the world? Question mark. And then he answers his own question. Be he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. You're an overcomer, not because of what you do, but because of what he did for you. And because you believe in what he did for you on the cross, you are an overcomer. There's absolutely nothing that can take you out or take you down. I want you to know something that I am cautious. I am aware. I am okay about this thing called COVID-19. I promise you. I am aware, I am safe, and I will love you if you feel uncomfortable. I will wear a mask. I will do whatever it takes to express to you the love of God through that. But make no mistake about it. I am not afraid of this thing. I'm not, I'm not sitting at home all locked up going, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? We need to see this thing head on and be a people of God who have overcome this thing. We've overcome it. We've overcome it. Now, I'm not I'm telling you to go lick doorknobs. It's about your mentality, your position, your alignment with the overcoming spirit about you. He didn't die on the cross and say, okay, everyone be afraid of everything. He died on the cross and says, now go and preach the gospel to every single person. I'm ready, aren't you? 2021 is gonna be a good year. Mark it like a fine wine, baby. I don't know anything about that. Listen, this isn't positive confession. This is his confession for you. Now back to what I'm feeling. You can play some music back there. Real light. I felt there's been an agreement in churches, in the church. An agreement cloud, if you you will, released over the church. an agreement that we need to overcome. It's not the right agreement. We've partnered and agreed with the voice of the enemy more than the voice of God. I believe the church has agreed with the spirit of slumber, sleepiness, laziness, sleepiness to what? To sin. We've been put to sleep by the delusions of the enemy to allow things to slip through the gate and try to justify them by how we feel. Newsflash, my feelings, your feelings, don't matter when it comes to the truth and the word of God. We need to align ourselves with what it says, not with what, how we feel about it. I was sat in here over the last, this last weekend, a predominant pastor I won't mention names, I won't say who, you can do your own research. But a prominent pastor got fired from his church because it was exposed that he was having an extramarital affair with somebody in the city. Undercover, maybe months, maybe years, I don't know the whole story, so I don't wanna elaborate on it. And it happens, I'm not bagging it, I'm not saying anything about bad about it, but what I'm saying is this, You can begin to notice the things that infiltrate a church when we start becoming okay with sin. When we start becoming okay with certain things that are not in the word of God. And we try to rationalize them and think that it's okay because that's how we feel. And I'm here to tell you that it's time that us as a church snap to the word of God. Snap to his spoken word, listen to what he has to say, and snap to the written word, what it actually says. Sin is sin, amen, it's never gonna change. And here's the great thing about it, is the love of God conquers it all. How in the world can I love somebody even though they're in sin? I don't know, Jesus did it for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse eight, while I was still a sinner, Christ demonstrated his own love for us. It's possible to love, have grace, mercy, and still point out the sin and still live in righteousness. I see a church rising up, I see a church rising up in power with prayer and worship as the weapons needed to defend, to hold the line of righteousness to the falling away of believers. Don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That's in the Bible, verbatim. What will the church of God sow? What will we plant? Will we plant seeds of apathy or seeds of alertness? The enemy is slick, he's sneaky. But when we are aware, we can recognize and call out the works of the enemy. He is ready at any given time to kill, steal, and destroy. But God, someone say, but God. But God, I love God's big butts. (laughs) But God is much bigger than the enemy. And he is much bigger than the plots of the enemy. And he gives his people the inside scoop of what's going on. Are we listening? Church, must be a people who are alive, who are alert, and who are ready for battle at the sound of a trumpet's alarm. I told you at the beginning we're going to pray for the church, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So if you can join me, we're going to pray that we get out of slumber. We become alert to his spirit. Father, right now in Jesus' name. I just pray right now that every single person that's in this room and watching online, that God, you would bring an alertness to us a sensitivity to your spirit and a sensitivity to your power that, God, we will not settle for anything less than what you've called us, God, as an overcomer, as somebody who will see the power of God work in our lives. And when we go out tomorrow, we're not gonna go out tomorrow with our own opinion and own agenda and our own thoughts. We're gonna go out tomorrow with love at our side, God, with worship as our weapon, Father, and a melody in our heart, Father, that will pierce the darkness, God. Lord, help us, Jesus. Help us, Father, to win souls and make disciples because that's what it's about. Father, we love you, we thank you, we honor you, and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Amen.